Hi, this is Lori. And this is Rachel. Welcome to Tales, Tales from, from the Rock Side. Alright everybody, take two. Take two. You'll, we, you'll never hear the original. I'm yeah, sorry. well, that's because no one will because it wasn't recording for some nope. reason. The input had changed. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Well, at least we figured that out in maybe five minutes, which is way better than a full fucking day. True. So I think we're learning. Oh, we are. Aww. We're just becoming sound engineers. We're becoming <laughs> podcasters. Not good ones, but hey, just sound engineers. <laughs> we're figuring some shit out. We at least got a laptop that doesn't shit on us every 20 minutes. Knock on wood. Sorry. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it shits on us again, then my bad. That was me. True. So, hey, Rachel, how are you hey, doing? I'm pretty good. <laughs> feeling, feeling great. A little tired. Feeling groovy. Feeling groovy. Yeah. How Which, are you feeling today? Not too bad. That's yeah. good. Glad to be recording. Yeah, now that we're actually, it's on the thing. Yeah. That's, that's nice. Yeah. It was just a flat line for a second. I was like, it was. if this is a heart, heart monitor, so we're fucking dead. I'm so glad you noticed. <laughs> I looked over and I went, that doesn't look right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's, Wait a minute. There's no little There's no nothings. No sound waves. We Uh-oh. can't see the fun sound waves. So that was bizarre. But whatever. We got it, I think. Okay. So let's see. So All we're right. back at it. Back at it again. So today's episode, uh huh, we're going to be talking about the least heard and most influential bands of all time. <laughs> all of the bands of all time, or just I mean, one band? One band. Okay. One band. You said it like multiple. Sorry. We're only talking no, no, about no, no. one band. One band. Today. One band. Well, maybe we'll do an episode on multiple bands. Maybe. Like that. That'd be cool. Um, Brian Eno once said that even though hardly anyone ever bought their records or when released, almost everybody who did formed their own bands. Very cool. Yes. So we're talking about the Velvet Underground. Ow, ow. Yeah. And source material for this episode comes from the All Music Artist Biography by Richie Unterberger and Wikipedia. Woohoo. Thank you, Wikipedia. Thank yeah. you, Richie. Richie. New, so. new friend. <laughs> So a couple weeks ago, we did an episode about the Summer of Love in 67, right. and while everything was like peace and love on the West Coast, yeah, on the East Coast, things were like starting to be a little different. You know, New York City's always been edgier, so... Yeah, I'm not going to lie, New York has a bit more of a, a grungy vibe than Yeah, um, absolutely. It's more, more urban, more street. Yeah. And, um, I enjoyed listening to you say street. Thank you. (laughs) Yep. Sorry. I'm trying not to laugh so loud in the (laughs) mic, but that was pretty great. But okay. So in New York, there is a new band that was forging a new sound that was harsher, uh, more uncompromising looks at like urban decay and drug addiction Mm -hmm. and sexual kinks and just definitely about as far from the peace and love movement that was going on. Um, they I mean, were... there was some weird sex stuff in the Peace and Love Movement stuff, too. So. Yeah, they didn't talk about but it, But they didn't though. talk about it that much, yeah. yeah. Um, they were completely out of touch with the mainstream at the time, but they definitely, like, showed the way of new music to come. Right. They, they were influential on punk music, new wave, alternative, grunge, on and on. They're, I think their influence continues to be... Oh, for sure. Felt today. For sure. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's the, maybe not Shockwave, but yeah. Oh, the shockwave of 
Velvet Underground is still continuing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the member most responsible for these qualities was Lou Reed. Duh. He was a guitarist, singer, and songwriter whose narratives, the way he would write his lyrics, really came to define, like, street yeah. rock and roll, you know? Yeah. Gritty and... Lou Reed, a very cool person. Yeah, for sure. Um, Lou Reed loved rock and roll from an early age, mm -hmm. and by the early 60s, after graduating college, he was working as the house songwriter for Pickwick Records in New York City. Mm -hmm. When he was working there, he, he kind of said that he was... Um, the, like, a low-rent Carol King is how he referred to <laughs> That's himself. That's cute. That's pretty you cute. Know? Um, but when he was working there, he met John Cale. Mm -hmm. John Cale was from Wales, and he had moved to the U.S. to study classical music. Oh, no way. Mm -hmm. And he had been working with some experimental composers like uh, John Cage. Yeah. But he was kind of getting a little more interested in rock and roll, you know. He was a little tired of the classical, wanted to get more into rock and roll. I mean... Yeah. Valid. Yeah. I'm not a classical music kind of gal. Yeah. And so. Lou Reed was a little more interested in, in, he was in rock and roll, but he wanted to pull in some more of the avant-garde, right. you know, arty He's kind like, of thing. like, let's get weird with it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of like you have one guy from the art world who's like, you know, delving into the rock right. era, and then one guy who's from the rock section kind of delving into the more avant-garde section. Yeah. So that's kind of how their fusion came. And their partnership was the crucial axis of the Velvet Underground's early work. Yeah, they had that like uh, connection. Absolutely. Very Absolutely. Cool. So they put together an early band called The Primitives, and that was to promote a Lou Reed single called The Ostrich. Mm -hmm. By 1965, the group had evolved into a quartet that was calling themselves The Velvet Underground that include Lou Reed, John Cale, guitarist Sterling Morrison, who was a friend of Reed's, mm -hmm. and drummer Maureen Tucker. Hey, lady drummer. Yeah, and she joined after their original drummer quit because he didn't believe that you should accept money for art. That <laughs> is... Yeah, I guess they had a gig, and they, you know, they were, like, putting together a set list, and the guy was like, well, I don't think that we should be constraining ourselves to a set list, and I also don't think that we should accept money for what we're doing. And, like, I can understand this idea of, like, you want to keep your art pure and not be influenced by the money makers. Right. But also... If you're just if playing you a want... set at a bar, I think you should be okay to get some money. Well, and, yeah, <laughs> I think, too, like, the, it's it's always that. There's always a conflict between art and commerce. Oh, duh. And it's, it's like, well, if you want to have the ability to keep making your art, you mm -hmm. have to have money from somewhere. Yeah. And whether you're making your own money to live or whether you're getting a benefactor or whether you're showing your art and getting paid right. for your art, at some point... You're going to have to live at some point. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. We don't live in a utopian society right. where you don't need things like money and shelter. And yeah, there's no, and... there's no uh, like trade system. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I get where he's coming from. Yeah, I mean, I get it, but, you know. But unfortunately. Ultimately, yeah. Yeah, and like, you know. Just don't try, try really, like, you know, pay attention to your ego and shit and you're, you'll be okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Maureen Tucker was a, the sister of a friend of, um, Sterling Morrison's, oh, I okay. believe is how she knew them and they brought her in. So, and she was one of the first female, yeah. not one of the first, but she was an early female drummer. An early drummer. female drummer. Pretty dope. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty rare. 
The name Velvet Underground was taken from a book by Michael Lee that says it, the book claims that it's a documentary about the secret, secret sexual corruptive subculture of the early 60s. I did not know that. Yeah, so that's, that's where the name comes from. That's cool. Have you read the book? I have not read the book. Me neither. Yeah, I don't get the impression that it's a good book, but I don't know. I haven't read it. I mean, the name's cool, so yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, this Even this early on, the Velvets were on their way to making a really different sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, their original material was largely written and sung by Lou Reed, was mostly about like how hard it was to live in Manhattan, and it described drug use and sadomasochism yeah. oh, yeah. and decadence and, you know. Yeah, this is the, what, 60s? Yeah, this is the late 60s. Late 60s, getting into the 70s? Mm-hmm. This oh, is, well, this is yeah. about 66, 67. This yeah. Is, you know, We're getting into some real... Yeah, not super late 60s. Yeah. It, it, it's before things really started turning dark yeah it's still where like i said everything's still kind of which is crazy because peace and love they were definitely on the forefront of yeah their a change is coming yeah because new york got real sad mm-hmm. later mm-hmm. and then i consider it to continue to be sad because i find it horrifying but if you live in new york good for you <laughs> I just can't fucking do it. <laughs> well, it's just the amount of people that really yeah, you that's out. true. Yeah, that's more true. Than and the cost of living is horrifying. Yes, I don't. Yes. I hate. I'm not a money person. You know this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it like already gives me the heebie-jeebies. But like the amount of like, oh, here's your one bedroom, no bathroom for a thousand bucks a month. Fuck that. Where yeah. am I gonna piss? Well, you have a bathroom. It's just a communal bathroom. I'm not going to piss with a bunch. I'm not in a dorm. I'm just saying. Sounds horrendous. <laughs> no offense to people in dorms or living in New York. Live your fucking life. I'm yeah. just not into it. Yeah. Um, Lou Reed's writing, it's almost like a documentary style. Mm-hmm. He's It's very detached and he's very descriptive of, you know, like city scenes. He doesn't judge. He doesn't endorse. He's just describing what he sees around yeah. him. Yeah. He's just doing a... Uh, a visual storytelling. Yeah, and he was like real straightforward in his language, um, and the details, the songs like Heroin, I'm Waiting for the Man, Venus and Furs. Yeah. It, it's, it's detailed and, like I said, just almost like, you know, I'm describing what I see in front of right. me. I'm not judging anybody. Yeah. I'm not telling you to do this. I'm not condemning you for doing it. It's uh, voyeuristic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very cool. Uh, that was combined with some pretty straightforward rock and roll riffs, but the a little more discordance, very metronome-like drumming, mm-hmm. and then John Cale would also put, you know, some of his more avant-garde viola right. and, you know, some of the instrumentation Getting that some, he knew. some fun stuff in there. Yeah. Um, around 1965, Andy Warhol caught the band at a club around, oh, so we're at the end of 65, mm-hmm. And he quickly became their manager, and he suggested that they use the German-born singer Nico on several songs. Yep. His reputation helped the band get a higher profile, and he helped them get a contract with MGM's Verve Records. Yep. And Rachel, being the art person, is going to talk a little bit about Andy Warhol. Okay, so if you do not know who Andy Warhol is, I'm very sorry. But, basically, he is one of the big names in pop art, which was kind of coming around at the mid-60s, and he had a really interesting view on things like fame and consumerism, and that's where a lot of his artwork came from, was almost this, like, repetitiveness that 
consumerism, mm -hmm. the, the big machine tends to make, which is um, kind of why he gravitated towards things like the Velvet Underground and people that were a little bit more on the outskirts. It's very neat. Um, I have some more notes. Hold on. Sure. Sorry. What, uh, would, what would be the things like if you said Andy Warhol visually would spring to mind? Bright colors. He loved bright colors. He liked repetitive patterns. Mm -hmm. um, and almost, uh, almost a grunginess to a lot of the things. If you look at the Marilyn Monroe print, mm -hmm. it's got quite a bit of grungy aspects. Mm -hmm. yeah, he did a lot of print work. Um, and things like just very visual. He was a very visual person. Another reason why he was really interested in the Velvet Underground. He liked the way they mm. looked or sounded or, you know, he was just, he's an artist. Most artists are very visual, yeah. I'll be real. Um, and then I think of things like uh, when he did The Factory, which yeah. is partially what the Velvet Underground started yeah. in. Was what, in the factory. What would you say, people like? What was his common oh, his, like his subject look? matters? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like fame. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, who did he? Who? What? What are his famous paintings? What are the things that? I said. I said Marilyn Monroe. Okay. Campbell Soup Can. Okay. Coca Cola. Okay. I'm sorry. I thought I said soup cans. No. Did I not? I'm so uh -oh. sorry. <laughs> In my brain, I said soup cans. Uh, yeah, he did do this crazy print work of Campbell's yeah, soup cans. Yeah, that's probably the most iconic in, it Andy would, Warhol. Yeah, in an interesting way, it's... So, I... Okay, like, what, ten years ago or something, they came out with Campbell's soup cans that were painted or made, the labels looked like Andy Warhol. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the the print, mm -hmm. which is very on cool. On the actual soup. On cans. the actual soup cans, which I own the soup cans still, mm -hmm. uh, and I use them. They don't they don't have the soup in them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I ate the soup. It's fine, <laughs> but um, I think it's very interesting now, thinking about like uh, that is just full on consumerism at its peak is putting on this piece of art. Yeah, it's funny because yeah. he, he, start, he started off, like, making fun of this yeah. consumer culture. idea, culture, yeah. and then it, it circled around it totally to did. where it, they were using. Yeah, I mean, I'll be real. I, mocking. Well, I, I mean, it worked on me. I bought them. Yeah. I bought them and I ate the fucking soup. Yeah. So, yeah. whatever. But it, it worked. Uh, but he also did things like um, the factory, which was where his entourage and, like, his mm -hmm. friends hung out. Here's just a little fun fact. Uh I think his name is Bibby Hansen, was one of the people who were in the factory. And mm -hmm. that's Beck's mom. Oh, yeah. 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 Isn't that neat? Mm -hmm. I just thought that was cool. That a fun neat. little fact. And then he was credited as a producer on the Velvet Underground's uh, albums. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm The first one. The first one. I don't know if... I don't think I don't so, think after so, that. After that. Yeah. Uh, and then they, you know, parted ways later and... Uh, Andy Warhol was shot maybe a week after they parted ways. Which I thought, oh, I didn't realize that was really that weird. close. It was really close. Yeah, I mean, I knew he was shot, but I didn't know. And he, was, he wasn't killed. No, he, he wasn't was, killed. He was just he was, injured. He was injured. Uh, he survived. Mm -hmm. He was fine for a couple more years. Uh, quite a few more years. Quite a few more years. Yeah. <laughs> like, 20 years or something. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, like, really, really close. Yeah, I did So, in case that. anybody was curious about the timeline, it was very... Yeah. He, stick, he stuck with them for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, but that's about it. All That's all I really yeah. have, you know. Do you know, like, the factory had, like, a lot of, it, it was this weird place where, like, they'd hold parties and yeah. things like that, and, like, you'd have, like, 
very famous celebrities would come. And then there would also be a lot of um, drag queens. Oh, yeah. And, he was... like, what, what people consider to be the lower aspects of society. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he was... Bullshit. He was... I think Andy Warhol really likes to mix the fame and this, like, idea of wealth with uh, the idea of being, I don't want to say poor, but, like, poorer or, yeah, or like, on the more edges yeah, of, of yeah, he enjoyed, society. he enjoyed that, like, differentiate, mm-hmm. which I think was a, a huge gap back then, and I think that that's changed a little bit now. Yeah. Um, just depending on who's, I don't know what the fringes of society are at this current moment. Yeah. I guess people that don't do social media might be considered. Maybe. But I don't, I just don't know. Yeah. But because, like, things like drag has become so... It's more main culture. It's so mm-hmm. main culture. And there's a lot of things that have switched to being main culture. Mm-hmm. That it's kind of interesting what, uh, excuse me, what he was interested in was the... Two polar opposites of yeah, people coming together. Yeah, and at that time too, he was really trying to push the boundaries of what he was interested in artistically. Oh yeah. So he was making films. He and wanted to try a everything. Band and, yeah. yeah. Which I was, I think is super cool. He you know, he did paintings. He did print work. Yeah. He did film. He did fashion. He yeah. did, you know what I mean? Yeah. He did a lot of things that I'm always just like, that's really fucking cool. Yeah. Uh, and I highly admire that. Yeah. Do you yeah. know much about E. Sedgwick? Not much. I know a little bit. Not much. Yeah. She, she was a socialite. She yeah. was, um, like, from a very wealthy, wealthy upper crust, upper crust family. Yeah. You know? Um, so it was, like, another person, like, not just celebrity, but also this different yeah, world this, like, that, that yeah. came into it. And, um... There was also a ton of drugs falling oh, around yeah. this whole, the whole factory yeah, scene what was is, about a lot of drug use. One of the quotes that I read... But she was in a couple of the films, too. Yeah, yeah. Was one of the quotes that I read in my art book, which I did not write the name down. I'm sorry. It's all right. Um, but it said he was a, a paranoid person in a room full of drug addicts, which is pretty that's, valid. Yeah, that's pretty valid. Pretty valid, you yeah. know? And then after he was shot, he became even more paranoid. Yes. Also valid. Oh, I yeah. feel like if I was shot, my paranoia would go 100% worse. Oh, for sure. So, yeah, anywhere else, just a cool character. So, his reputation, it helped the band, obviously, get a higher profile. Well, like yeah. I said, he got a contract with MGM's Verve Records. He um, he then incorporated them into his mixed-media performance art ensemble, which was called The Exploding Plastic Inevitable. I like that. Yeah. And it that a lot of what they did is they would have his films playing and the band would be playing right. live in front of them and they they toured they played in New York City quite a bit and then they toured the U S and the can in Canada with yeah. this. Um, the band took to wearing sunglasses on stage because the lights from the was, films yeah. was so bright and that kind of gave them a little bit of a you know uh, image. Yeah, it's a look. Andy yeah, Warhol a look. is all about a look. A look. Obviously, if you've never yeah. seen a photo of Andy Warhol, or a, just a parody, yeah, it's it's all the look, really. By spring 1966, Warhol was producing their debut album, The Velvet Underground and Nico. Yep. Warhol insisted that the band use Nico. She sang on three of the songs. The band wasn't real crazy about having her with them. Yeah. And I don't think it was really anything against her. I think they felt like, we're a band. Why are we, you know, we want to produce adding? our own sound. Right. Why are we bringing this girl in who really isn't part of the band? Right. Um, 
So at the time of its release, the cover actually got a little more attention than the content. Yes, the cover is very famous. Mm -hmm. The original cover had a yellow banana sticker. This is a Warhol original drawing. Mm -hmm. Um, The, or whatever, screen print. I think it was screen print. Yeah. The original cover was, the banana was a sticker. Mm Mm-hmm. And it had a little thing that said, peel slowly and see, printed near the tip of it. Yeah. And when you did, the banana was skin underneath was pink. Pink, yeah. Yeah. So, that, like I said, that got a lot more attention yeah. than well, the yeah. actual I meant to itself. look up, I don't know if, if you have that. I don't know what the, like, resale price and shit I, Yeah, is. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure, sure that valuable. if you, I'm sure that if you have, like, the sticker and shit mm-hmm. still, you'd probably be making a, yeah. quite a bit of coin. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to look, I meant to look that up, I totally forgot. Yeah. It's recognized today as one of the core classic albums of rock. Yeah. It featured an, an extraordinarily song, strong set of songs um, highlighted by heroin, All Tomorrow's, all, sorry, All Tomorrow's Parties, I'm trying to read too fast, Venus and Furs, <laughs> I'll Be Your Mirror, Femme Fatale, Black Angel's Death Song, Sunday Morning, the, the, the more sensational drugs and sex songs got right. more attention, like heroin. Well, yeah. Yeah, but the more conventional numbers really showed Lou Reed to be a very good songwriter. Yeah, Lou Reed's super cool. Yes. The album wasn't without complications, though. Its release wasn't. It wasn't issued for nearly a year until after it was finished mm-hmm. due to the record company politics and other factors. Well, yeah. The group's association with Warhol and the exploding plastic inevitable had ensured them of a pretty high media profile. Um, but the music really didn't fit into commercial radio, you know, no. it, it wasn't in step with the times, basically. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think it's what's interesting, too, is it became, like, Andy Warhol became this huge sensation in artwork and mm-hmm. in other aspects, social mm-hmm. aspects and things like that, but then none of his stuff really fits into any mainstream. Yeah. So the fact that he became so mainstream is very odd. Well, he was always really good at courting media. That's, That's one, true. one of the things that Andy was, you know, they always, and even throughout his entire life, they always, like, people wanted Andy to come to... That's true. ...different, like, uh, an art opening or a movie premiere or whatever because all the media was interested in him and it would get more press. Right. So, and... So anything that he did got a yeah. lot of media attention. Whether it got that translated in commercial success is, yeah. you know, it's so interesting. Didn't happen real often, yeah, it's but... so interesting how all of it, this like huge media stuff and sensations and stuff, and like most of you know, yeah, it's like what I don't know well, what yeah. the you know, and I do like it. I like him a lot. I just don't know what the love of the media from of him was. I don't know. I, I mean, know. he's his most famous quote is, in the future, everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean, you know. is he wrong? No, he's not. Yeah. He's not. You know, people get famous for having no discernible talent. Yeah. <clears throat> Kardashians. Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, <clears throat> One Night with Ray J or whatever what that one's called. What was yeah. it called? I don't even remember. Like that. I don't know. I fucked Ray J. Give me money. <laughs> <laughs> Something. Um... The the underground rock radio really was just getting started, so that wasn't like they could really get a foothold there because like I, said, I mean yeah, like one station in New York isn't yeah you know yeah and like I said and psychedelic music was really coming to yeah. its peak at this time, so it this just wasn't the kind of music that was going to fit in. Of course, um, the re- album only reached number one hundred and seventy one on the charts, which is crazy, and that was their highest charting which album. Is crazy, <laughs> I know. Um, by 1967, the Velvets were having problems within the band, too. 
Um, Nico had left or was fired sometime during the year, and Andy Warhol wasn't devoting as much time to it, because... That's the thing about Andy, too, is that... Um, he bounced around He did. A bit. He did. He kind of had what you would consider to be a short attention span. Yeah. So, you know, Honestly, he would get interested in this, and then I he get did it. that for a couple months, <laughs> and then he'd get interested in doing something else. His movies were the same way. Yeah. He made movies for a couple of years, but then he was like, no, I'm yeah. tired of doing that, and he moved on. And... I'll be real, I don't know very many artists that don't do that kind of stuff, especially exactly. if you're doing um, things like print media or... Mm-hmm. I would even argue digital media. Yeah. You tend... I don't have any patience, which is why I can't do oil paints. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just don't have the fucking patience <laughs> for it. I know there are some people out there who are like, it's so patient and relaxing. I can't fucking do it. Yeah. So I know that that's kind of how Andy Warhol operated. Was Yeah. I was, I'm getting tired of this, and now I have to move on. Yeah. I think he was like... the The art... When he would do art, he would choose a medium that he could like take a piece from beginning to finish within a day's time. Exactly. Not, you know, oh, this is going to be, you know, a couple weeks or whatever. Cause... Which is, I totally, mm-hmm. I'm right there with him in that yeah. aspect. So yeah. I totally get it. Which is yeah. why I enjoy digital art so much. Because I can just, <laughs> you just roll through that. It's great. <laughs> um, the, the band was kind of upset because of the lukewarm reception that the record had got in New York City in mm. particular. I think they thought, well, our own yeah. hometown should, you know, should be blow, a, like get a little, little more, more love. Yeah. yeah. And so they were concentrating on touring cities throughout the rest of the country, and at the same time they were recording their second album, White Light, White Heat. Mm-hmm. Um, White Light, White Heat was a, a change from the first album. It focused more exclusively on their noisier sound, right. um, little overamped guitars, and more abrasive songs. And they they, were, they only released three albums, well, they only, as a band, they only released three albums. There's another Velvet Underground album that was... Later on, we'll talk about yeah. that. Um, and then, of course, all the re-releases and stuff. But they, they did really shift pretty radically between their sounds for each album, too. Yeah. Um, they also had kind of a short attention span. Yeah, I think so. And there's like... Which might be why they worked very well with Andy. Well, you know? I, I also think there's that thing, too, where, um, you know, some some people are like, I'm trying to get successful as, as well as, you know, be... Yeah an artist, musician, whatever it is. Um, so I'm going to like have, I'm going to have a sound and I'm going to really promote that sound and everything I do is going right. to be in that same commercial vent. Or there's people that are like, no, I'm going to really follow where my muse goes. Yeah. And if I, my, I sound radically different between one thing to the next, so be it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, and both ways are very admirable. Yeah. I don't, I don't say one's yeah. better than the other, you know, yeah. I identify with one more than the sure, other. Sure. <laughs> absolutely. Um, the 17 minute Sister Ray was their most extreme and most successful effort in this vein, Mm -hmm. but the album unsurprisingly failed to catch on commercially and it got, it reached the number 199. Youch. So you could say it cracked the top 200. The top 200, just barely. Whoopsie. Um, by the summer of 1968, a rift had developed between Lou Reed and John Cale. Not really unexpectedly, they're two very creative people, which also translates into two temperamental egos. Oh, yeah. I um, mean... Yeah. Like, Lou Reed definitely wanted to 
stick with more of a rock and roll sound. Yeah. And John Cale really wanted to go into wild experimentation. Yeah, he was ready to get real weird with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and it's not that, like, Lou Reed wanted to have some different sounds and stuff, mm-hmm. but he still wanted to have a structured rock and roll. Right. And John Cale was saying things like, let's put the speakers underwater to record. And Lou Reed's like, yeah, no. Cale would have done well in the, uh, music that's like that it's it's i don't remember what the genre is called but it's basically like destruction music yeah and i mean and he has had an extremely successful yeah. career you know and has done experimental music oh, sure. and experimental other things throughout his whole career so right. it, it he just like being in a structured band it wasn't situation wasn't him. wasn't good yeah, yeah yeah um it's just funny i could see him going on stage yeah. and being like and this is Death of a piano, and then he just fucking takes a sledgehammer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who knows. Lou presented the rest of the band with an ultimatum, declaring that he would leave the group unless John Cale was sacked. Oops. And so Morrison and Tucker reluctantly sided with Lou. I, I guess it was kind of like a, he just kind of took them out to lunch mm. and said, hey, this is what's going to happen. And they were like, oh, okay. And they were like, you already bought us lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Doug Yule was recruited to take John Cale's place. Uh, the third album, 1969's The Velvet Underground, took another turn away from the noise and the violence of White Light, White Heat to a really more conventional and restrained. Mm-hmm. Sorry. The al- that's okay. The album contains some of Lou Reed's most personal and romantic compositions like Pale Blue Eyes and Candy Says. But by this time, the label MGM, Verb, was kind of really putting very little yeah. promotional into the band. They were kind of over it. Yeah. Um, even in the absence of John Cale, they were still a compelling on stage. Yeah. And a album that was recorded in 1969, but wasn't released to the mid-70s, was The Velvet Underground Live. Um, MGM, at that time, kind of went, this is in 19, around 1969, mm-hmm. MGM had decided that they were going to purge their roster of any, like, quote-unquote drug acts um yeah i don't i don't know what it is there was some kind of image thing i mean they've come back said no no we were just getting rid of the people that weren't selling but it just kind of it just corresponded to to be all the ones that had this reputation of of being drug users i mean yeah yeah so they got the velvets got the sack then there, there was about an album's worth of material they'd recorded for MGM, and it ended up being released over the years on different compilations, mm-hmm. you know, all throughout the 80s and into the 90s. Um, at the beginning of the 1970s, they signed to Atlantic, mm-hmm. but at this point, there was the personal problems were still really becoming more yeah, and more overwhelming. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, their final album with Lou Reed was called Loaded, and that was a title that Atlantic had requested that they make an album that was loaded with hits. Nice. So they called the album Loaded. <laughs> pretty good. That's pretty um, petty. I like that. <laughs> yeah. It it wasn't a huge hit, but it did contain some of their more accessible yeah. pop sounds. That's, pr- that's pretty petty. Yeah. <laughs> and two of Lou's best known songs, Sweet Jane and yeah. Rock and Roll, are both on that album. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, Maureen Tucker had to sit out some of the recording because she was having her first child. Aww. Yeah. And um, so her drumming was replaced by Doug Yule did some of it, and also his brother Billy did some of the mm-hmm. drumming. And according to some of the accounts that are out there, Doug Yule began angling to have more power within the band. Oh, yeah. And um, and I think Lou Reed was also at that point where he was like, you know, I don't want to have to argue with people with what I want to do. Right. I want to just do it. He was probably do ready it. to do his, his solo yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, 
they had had a lengthy residency at New York City's Max's Kansas City Club. Mm-hmm. And, like, the second to last night, Lou Reed just kind of quit the band. <laughs> this was a, towards the end of the of I mean... summer of 1970. And he moved back to his parents' Long Island home for several months before beginning his solo career. Yep. And... So, the, but the band decided to continue, probably not too wisely. Um, <laughs> and then shortly after that, Sterling Morrison and Maureen Tucker left. Oops. So that was Doug Yule was yeah. heading a Velvet Underground band that didn't have any original members in yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that counts with my friends. Yeah, and they released an album called Squeeze in 1973 that <laughs> nobody really considers it a Velvet Underground no. album. It's called Velvet Underground, but it's, it's, it's none n- of them. nobody that was in right. the original band. So, and it didn't get a very good reception well. at all. Um, Lou Reed, John Cale, and Nico went on to establish important solo careers. Mm-hmm. I'm sure at some point we'll talk about Lou Reed's solo career. Which we should. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, everybody knows Walk on the Wild Side. That was his biggest yes. hit. Um, he was in a very cool movie. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about yeah, that stuff just, later. I do remember my... Vi- I just wanted to give a little bit of like a... <laughs> my memory of Walk on the Wild Side is hearing it on the radio and going, going like... And I was young yeah. and going, they just sang about giving head on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's true. I always forgot that was in that song. <laughs> did the FCC not realize what he was singing? <laughs> so, interesting. That's true. I, I, you know, I never really thought about it because I'd heard that. Oh, yeah. You know, I was born in the 90s, so I've heard the song, obviously. Yep. But I just didn't really ever associate it with being like. <laughs> yeah, I think I was eight and I was kind of like, huh? <laughs> What's that? Oh my god. <laughs> well, you had older sisters too. So no, I, I knew what it was. I was going to say, you had older sisters, so you probably didn't know what it was. Um, the, the Velvet's reputation and influence continued to grow, with artists like David Bowie, Brian Eno, Patti Smith acknowledge their debts to the band. Oh, yeah. And more people discovering the band for themselves. They had tried to re- reunite in the early 1990s, and they did a little tour of Europe, and they made a live album. Um, was completed in 1993, but right before the U.S. tour, Lou Reed and John Cale were fighting again. Yeah. <laughs> so they just kind of ended the reunion. I mean, they, tr- they like tried to they did. make up and stuff. It just didn't work out. It they happens. did. What was that show that, uh, it was like the early 2000s, where they would go and try and find the band members to... Yeah, what was, what was that, that show? show okay, I, I forgot just, all about that I show. Just, I just that had a like a... That was a lot of fun. A, that was a fun show. I just yeah. had like a... Like a distant memory of it and I was like what was that show you know what I can look it up you keep you keep talking okay yeah that was a cool show I'm trying to remember who all that they reunited because uh, I know there was a couple bands that was like this is really fun didn't they try to do the talking heads and there was no fucking way <laughs> no I don't think they ever did okay. anybody that big I think the motels were one that they I think reunited the motels was one. okay let me look it up and maybe Berlin I kind of remember the Berlin episode yeah. yeah I think so hold on interesting yeah, it was think, on MTV. Because I think some of the bands were like still like there's a version of the band still yeah touring, but they were like no we're gonna try to get together the original. Oh, it members. wasn't it wasn't MTV. It was VH1. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. Bands reunited. Bands reunited was a television program produced by VH1 in 2004. Wow. But yeah, let me see what bands were on here. Hold up. Oh, it was uh, 2004 to 2006, in case anyone was curious. It was the 2000s. Good, good job, come <laughs> us. Um, oh, they tried to reunite the Smiths. Oh, yeah, that would that never happen. That didn't work. Yeah, that never happened. Duh. 
Um, let's see. Who all did they? This is... I did, forgot that that existed. That's really dope. They bands, don't have a list of bands. Bands which appeared. I'm going. Okay. Flock of Seagulls. Oh, yeah. ABC. The Alarm. The Beat. Berlin. That's the one I, I remember. I knew it. Uh, Rama. Extreme. Frankie Goes to Hollywood. I remember that episode, oh, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, Haircut 100. Information Society. Oh, God. I can't read this. I'm sorry. Kaja... Oh, Kaja Gugu. Gugu. I'm so sorry. I'm so bad at Francis. Yeah, they're big about one song and I can't remember the name. Uh, Climax. Wow. The Motels. I knew they did the Motels. New Kids on the Block. <laughs> Romeo Void. Scandal. Squeeze. I, yeah, I was yeah. thinking Scandal. I thought they did, they did Scandal and too. And Vixen. And then they tried to do uh the smiths which i think might have been the end of the show <laughs> it might have been that's a fun show it's funny that like everybody that they're like let's reunite all these like early 80s oh bands. i know <laughs> well it came out in 2000 yeah ish i yeah. think that's kind of when the 80s revival was coming back around yeah a smidgen i guess maybe they thought if we go any earlier than that it'll be too depressing because right. people will be dead people will be dead yeah yeah Oh, fun. I totally, I totally forgot, about, forgot about that show. I wonder if we can find it anywhere. Probably. Let us, let us... What isn't on YouTube? <laughs> well, I don't know if you can... I don't know if each one has the... True. They might be copywriting it, but, True. you know, if anyone knows where you can find that show, please let us know. Yeah. I'm very curious. Yeah, that was fun. That was a fun show. Anyway, continue. So anyway, <laughs> they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1996, and at the induction ceremony, and I think it was Patti Smith that inducted them. Was I believe. It? I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, Lou Reed, Maureen Tucker, and John Cale performed. Sterling Morrison had died the year before. Um, Cale and Reed continued their solo careers, but Lou Reed passed away from end-stage liver disease in October of 2013. Yeah, I knew he had passed. So, yeah. That was the first time I watched that movie. Uh, if you don't know what I'm movie I'm talking about, I'm talking about Rock and Rule. Which is just a fun animated it's a movie. Crazy animated it's crazy. Movie it's so much fun. Rachel's obsessed with. I think it's so fun. I love the classic animation. I love the music. Yeah. Cheap Trick is in it. It's fucking great. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that movie. You can't tell me shit about that movie. But, <laughs> I'm not saying a word. But that is the first time I saw that movie. Somebody mentioned it and I was like, what the hell is this? And it's fantastic. So. Yeah, it's like anytime I mention somebody that's it's in my, that, she's like, oh God, you gotta watch this clip. Fucking everybody's <laughs> in it. It's so. Cheap Trick is in it. Blondie's in it, Debbie Harry. Yeah. It's, it's insane. It's a fucking crazy ass movie. It's so <laughs> worth it. Any of those, like, if if you are bored, go on YouTube and find early mid '80s animated movies by in like Canada because there's some fucking crazy ass ones and they're great. Yeah. People need to see these movies. <laughs> Sorry, tangent. <laughs> so anyway, that kind of wraps up the Velvet Underground. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. This is. We're hitting into some stuff that I actually genuinely do listen to a bit more of. Yeah. Because uh, I don't, no offense to, like, 40s and 50s stuff, I just don't tend to gravitate towards it. No, that's fine. But once we hit into, uh, you know. Yeah. Once we hit mid-70s and shit like that, that's where I, yeah. or mid-60s, mid-70s, yeah. is, that's kind of where I start actually listening to the yeah. music. <laughs> There's, I've put together a playlist yep. on Spotify. Everybody yep. go look at, listen to our Spotify, Tales from the Dark Tales from the Rock Side. I sorry, I've done that before. Tales I know. from the Rock Side. Tales from the Dark on Side. On Spotify, yeah. we've got playlists for all of our episodes, and you know, I really enjoy putting them together. I hope people will listen to them because I think they're a lot of fun. They are fun. I enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep talking about doing little Tales from the 
rock side as Tales from the Dark Side comics every once in a while. Yeah. So if anyone's interested in that, let us know. <laughs> that could be really stupid fun, but you know. We've got, um, you can contact us on our uh, email. Yep. Um, Which is rocksidetales at gmail. Yes. Uh, you can also contact us via Instagram. I'm running the Instagram currently. Um, excuse me, hold on. Or, or, so also, or also it's Tales from Facebook. the Rock Side on Instagram. Yeah, also Facebook. Um, you can contact us on that. Um, I'm so sorry, my hiccups just started. <laughs> yeah, please like, rate, review us on iTunes. That really helps our profile a lot. I'm um, nodding my head. <laughs> you know, we're we're on a lot of different podcast um, apps and apps things. And I don't care what you listen to us on, but if you can this. hop over yeah. to iTunes to give us a rating, it, yeah really increases our profile so so much yeah and i'm on Castbox, so if you leave comments on Castbox, i will see them because uh, i do creep yep. quite often actually <laughs> yeah and recommend us to people you know even if you don't like it they might yeah so, we appreciate anybody yeah. for listening and we appreciate recommendations yeah shit uh we want to <laughs> yeah <laughs> we want to thank billy zen for our theme song don't i know you it's Thanks, copyright billy. 2016 Thank you, Billy. And Rachel Karn drew our logo, our lovely little side faces yes, and microphones. I do. So I did draw you, the logo. You're welcome. If we ever need a new one, I will draw that one as well. Yeah. Also, so, oh, I'm doing Inktober. It's October 2nd today. Yeah, follow if, Rachel on Instagram. If anyone's interested, if my Instagram is public, you can go look at my artwork. Uh, it's at Rach Karn, R-A-C-H-K-A-R-N. And I'm posting every single day in October. Yes. <laughs> which... Is uh, really hard, and I do it every year, but... Yep, she's following a series I'm, of prompts. I'm following a series of prompts, and it's really cool. I just did... Today's was Pink Eye, so you're going to have to go to the Instagram to check that out. Yeah, most of them have, like, a ooky spook event for October. Usually, yeah. Although I did get some cutesies after. Yeah. 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 Tomorrow is pretty cute, even though it's... It's cute, but it's still an ooky spooky theme. It's true. Yeah. Tomorrow's is cute, though. So, yeah. yay! So, anyway, yeah. thanks for listening. I was going to say, you can follow Mom on Instagram, too, if you want. If you really want. I rarely ever post. Rachel will be posting some pictures yes. relative to the episode on um, our Instagram on yes. Rockside Tales. No, Tales from, Tales the, from the Rock Side. Rockside Tales is the email. Tales from the Rock Side is the... Sorry to confuse things. Well, Rockside Tales was easier to do in no, the email. Yes. No problem. I made all the email and shit. I'm sorry. It's, it's my fault. It's fine. It's, it's not fault. that hard to figure out. Is my fault. So. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. And rock, rock on. on.